Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new SDG Talks mini-series in preparation for the Unleashed 2022 event in Karnataka, India, December 3rd to 11th. We're going to talk with past talents, facilitators, mentors to help paint a picture on what to expect so we all have the most impactful experiences. Unleashed 2019 was one of the most profound professional development experiences for me personally, and I encourage all of you to make the most of it. And if not in 2022, explore in 2023 with a range of in-person and virtual events. Enjoy the show. Today, you will hear from Henry Glogau and Nathan Baring, two of the four members from the Loop Poop team, just missing Sophie and Horn from this conversation. We will cover their Unleashed Greenland experience, the challenges they overcame, what it's like to work together as a global team, and ultimately, how they came together to create a very contextual, grassroots, and important concept with Loop Hoop. Lots to learn and unpack here. Enjoy. All right, everyone, welcome back to the SDG Talks podcast. Really grateful to be sitting here alongside some fellow Unleashers who are just at the Unleash Greenland event. Henry Gogui, I probably- <laughs> Henry Glogau, uh, yeah. Glogau yeah. And, and Nathan Baring. <laughs> welcome, Henry and Nathan, how you both doing? Good, man. That's uh, great to be here. Thanks for the yeah. chance to come speak to you. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Great to have you. So how was Unleashed Greenland? I mean, for those of us that weren't there, I I wanted to go. I couldn't. I know many of us did, but paint a picture on kind of what was your experience like and give us some any insights to, to overall how the, how the whole Unleashed Greenland experience went. Definitely a pretty unexpected experience just because I've this was only the third time I've actually been out of the United States. I've been all over the nation, but I haven't traveled to Europe. So flying you know, all the way over to the pole to Frankfurt and then going backwards to Nuke because you take a flight from Copenhagen that was chartered and just sort of didn't know what to expect. You know, if you show up to a town of about, I think, 18, 19,000. But I, I got there and you know, everyone was really welcoming. And I met immediately all these amazing young people from all over the Arctic region since, you know, this was really concentrated on the Arctic and Greenland. And I think well, as soon as we kicked it off, it was also, it was really just a whirlwind, right? Like you get thrown into this innovation setting with, you know, people that you've been matched for various interest areas. And in our case, it was uh, the climate change kind of innovation path. So I got thrown into, you know, a group with someone from Norway and Iceland, and then Henry from uh, Copenhagen. And then I'm obviously from the United States and Alaska. And you know, just didn't really know what to expect. But uh, I think that it was amazing what we managed to create in like, you know, 14 hour days that we were you know, struggling to find a topic and, you know, framing it and prototyping it and pitching it. And uh, I think that we really found that uh, Unleash really curated an environment that took all of our unique skills and kind of brought them to the forefront so we could be effective. Yeah, I think you've, you've summarized that pretty well, Nathan. I think it was a pretty incredible opportunity. I think Greenland is a very special place, but I think having 200 like-minded individuals that come from such a diverse range of, of backgrounds, all passionate about you know similar topics, I think is, I know it creates that kind of energy and vibrance, which, yeah, you can really, really feel that in that space. And I think from day one of arriving and, and meeting people, I, I yeah, I was just really blown away by the kind of the passion that you felt for, from everyone that was participating. And yes, it was an intense period for, for the kind of ideation and prototyping. And it's kind of a new stepping stone of ideation that many of us hadn't gone through before. But I think 
combined with you know some in, uh, incredible what you, uh, facilitators that I think were you could also feel their kind of interest and passion to be there as well and the drive for for them to see us do well in our projects I think was really lucky so yeah intense time but I, I think every team came up with some really really incredible area uh, topics addressing many issues in the in the kind of Arctic and in uh, northern areas so I love it. Thanks for that context. And one thing that I I reminisce about a lot and makes me excited for the upcoming India event is is how diverse the Unleashed talents and the entire team is and the beauty of bringing people who are like-minded from all around the world and all different walks and shapes and sizes and colors coming together in one collective goal. And if there's some sort of very special magic in the room, I mean, granted, we can't always just get together and that's the brilliance of Zoom and these other tools where we can connect, but there's something special about bringing it together. And tell me about just before we, we jump into to the project that you worked on, like give me a little bit of insight to like what was that like working as a team going through that process from like you meet your team members, you know, you start going through this ideation phase and you just keep asking why and you're going trying to move along this innovation process. Give us a little context on sort of what was your experience experience um kind of just jumping right into this this whole innovation framework you know i said it was a whirlwind and some sort of tangible uh evidence i have for that is you know we start out in the sort of ideation phase and at every phase along the way that they they have you go through in the innovation process you reach what they call gates where you have to kind of go prove that you are capable in your current framework and stage of your project to move on to the next gate. And for our team, it took us, I think, at least two and a half days or something to get through the first gate, which was, you know, we were one of the absolute last teams. So we were going crazy toward the end where, you know, we were, we kept on rewriting these big charts and we had these documents come down. And I think it was really just a testament to the diversity of our backgrounds and our interest areas. And like we mentioned that we had a glaciologist, a geothermal engineer, an architect, and a policy a wonk, basically. <laughs> so really like no overlap whatsoever. And then, you know, to top it all off, right, I Greenland is a seven hours ahead of Alaska in terms of time zone. And then, you know, Copenhagen is 10 hours. And so I had gone all the way to Copenhagen and then back to Greenland. And my jet lag was so bad that on day three, I got so sick that I just slept through the day basically in my hotel room and had to, you know, zoom into a couple like gate checks. So that was a little bit of a chaotic thing to throw in there too. But then, you know, once we actually got past that ideation stage, things really did start to pick up. I mean, for one, you know, Henry is a really masterful designer. So that definitely became one of our strongest things that we were working together on was, you know, our pitch deck was beautiful. We really felt strongly about the topic we had because it was tangibly something that was in need in both Greenland and in Alaska, where I came from. And we really kind of got our synergy after we kind of struggled through the first two days to find our uh, ideation phase goal. But, but Nathan, I, yeah. I think it was kind of like... The fact that we did do those two and a half days and trusted that process to to say, hey, look, and you know, the Unleash facilitators were saying, hey, just trust this process, keep going back, keep looking at these mind maps. It was better that we pushed that that research and ideation phase right right up to that end point because it kind of inevitably made the end product stronger because we had we had explored these different areas, we tried, we'd failed, but then we'd revisited it. And I think a lot of these earlier ideas somehow merged actually into into this final proposal. So yeah, it was challenging, but it was, I think, the right way to do it. 
I know. It was, I remember just wanting to pull my hair out and it was maddening at times, like where you just keep asking why you can't until you can't ask why anymore. And, but I remember there was one moment where it was just this like, you know, light bulb breakthrough. And it was really magical because as well as our team being very diverse, different mindsets, um, you're still kind of figuring out what's the best way to work with each other. So great to hear that. And then that's really good insight for everyone listening and preparing for Unleash India coming up in December. But so we'll probably talk more about this at the end, but really interested in sort of what you came up with and what was the magic in the air from you had the glaciologist, thermal engineer and innovator and, and policy, just like so many different cool minds working towards a said problem. This is the first time I'm necessarily saying it on the podcast, but loop poop. Tell us about loop poop. <laughs> what is it? Uh, how did you come to it? And kind of like what, tell us a little bit about the problem and ultimately what the proposed solution is. Yeah, I think so our project was called Loop Poop, which was reimagining the waste management of, of human waste management in remote Arctic communities. And I think one of the things that was really important for us is that, you know, we all come from different parts of the world, but then we're going into a location of Greenland, which we inevitably haven't spent any time with and before. So one of the things that we did to really kick off our project was actually start to speak to a lot of our fellow Unleashed Talents and Greenlandic locals who who have obviously lived there their whole life. And we spoke to an incredible individual called Ernie Christensen, Christensen, who was from a remote Arctic community about a thousand kilometers from Nook. And Ernie started to speak a little bit to us about some of the challenges that he faces on a daily basis within his remote community. And in particular, he spoke about uh, the management of human waste and some of the the new challenges that are faced based off Danish uh, regulations and new rules. And he spoke about the way that they go bathroom. So pretty much into what they call a honey bucket system or, or sorry, what we call a honey bucket system where, you know, you poo and pee into a bucket, which has got a plastic bag in there. And he was telling us about, okay, you know, this is something that his family does and everyone in the communities. But what they do now is they dispose of their waste, not in the old incinerator, which used to burn burn all the the human waste that got stopped because of new Danish regulations. But now they have to dispose of it on the coastline and they are getting their human waste picked up annually by this kind of boat, which comes and picks it up. But I think one of the things that was kind of really alarming for us is that it showed the disconnect from the Danish government where they didn't realize that a lot of this can't be accessed, these communities, because of the frozen water during the winter months and also the rough rough seas. So that kind of kicked off a little bit of a, well, what can we do now? You know, we know that there's a problem here, but what is a, a low-tech system that we can start to think about the potential of taking this human waste, but actually seeing an opportunity to do, you know, do something with it. So Loop Poop tried to close the loop in this and, and find a way that we could turn this human feces into a potential a fertilizer source to grow in cold greenhouses. And I don't know if we want to go into too much detail about the actual system itself or... I would like to. This is great context, so keep going. Okay. I mean, what was really important, I mean, there's some, some incredible technologies out in the world at, at the moment, you know, some that do address, you know, like you've talked about previously on some podcasts around water generations, around creating energy and so forth. But for us, it's actually trying to avoid a lot of this technology and saying, hey, look, it, it works in some contexts. But when you're thinking about hundreds of these communities that have limited resources, limited economic funds, you know, we have to keep this low tech. We have to keep this passive. And the idea around not trying to change what these communities do on a daily basis too much, it's about 
actually plugging in our, our system into what they do themselves. So from the bathroom setup, you know, for when they go into the toilet, through a simple mechanism of the internal bucket and plastic bag, we can be changing that plastic bag into just a, a filter system where you're, you know, just by perforations, your human poo is on the top surface and then through the perforations, your pee trips through. So you can have this kind of separation process where you can then transport that that bucket and set, set it to the coastline to the old incinerator, which we have transformed into like a composting facility. And when you go to that composting facility, you put your, your, your poo into one of the anaerobic chamber composting facilities and then you pee into another chamber. And as we've seen with dogs, when they urinate on, on the ground, on the grass, you know, you see how incredible that is as a fertilizer source. And so over a period of a few weeks, and by adding in seaweed or other fermentation, uh, what was it called again, Nathan? The, uh, oh, yeah, the, yeah um, it's, a, it's a Japanese composting method called bokashi, which involves okay. sort of adding a microbe, which brings the heat up a lot higher than traditional composting. Is, is, uh, and, and this is where one of our team members from Iceland is really our expert on this because of her work in cold greenhouses. But uh, it basically works in the Arctic because it can raise the heat high enough that it both doesn't freeze in the winter and it kills the pathogens because that's one of the biggest issues when you're dealing with BC. Yeah, and I, I think from that we've, you know, We've now sort of, we're using existing infrastructure. We're not trying to change too much, but now we have a potential of this this foil, a fertilizer in soil. And I think currently what they do, there's a new social enterprise that's happening in Greenland where they are trying to explore these, these cold greenhouses. So we're not trying to create a new system, but actually trying to plug into this initiative, which is happening and trying to be implemented into these communities. So we're saying, instead of you importing your fertilizer from, Europe or from Iceland, you now have a potential fertilizer that you can create from your waste that can then go into the greenhouses and inevitably create this fresh produce. Yeah, there were many kind of steps to it, but I think it was simple, low tech and just trying to yeah, not not reinvent the wheel, but find a kind of unique way that we can we can close this this loop system. And it's worth noting that when we're talking about these sort of the startup innovation, we're often looking at what's our market and we you know we're dealing with low tech and kind of something that can't be easily scaled in terms of like a centralized system because we're dealing with remote communities with you know small numbers of households and families but the but the importance of it is that this is an issue across the arctic so you know in alaska alone i think there are at least upwards of 33 communities that also do not have like a public septic system i can definitely and we know this is true in greenland all over the northern coasts in particular and i'm sure that it is the case also in remote Siberia where this infrastructure dollars just haven't reached and the economies of scale are just not there. So it's also like a sort of different way of scaling that's not quite so traditional where you, you know, you start small and then you grow really big in this kind of efficiency centralized system. It's more just there are many, many, many places that are in need of this sort of transformation of their system. Yeah. And I think just the fact that we're 
you know, whether it's used for the fertilizer or not, just getting this, these plastic bags with human waste off these shorelines, you know, it's causing you know, uh, health and well-being issues. Like this is just something that the kids are going around and playing in it. You know, Nathan, you talked about some of the issues around even in Alaska with some of the, the potential diseases that are occurring. I can't, again, I can't remember the disease itself, but, you know, when, you're, when you've got this in the coastline, it's a real eyesore and, and also just a health concern um, in, the, in the making. So, yeah, that's kind of a, a quick summary of, of loop poo. But, um, yeah. Thank you. I, I loved a lot of what you just said there, especially from, I mean, hearing about some policy change that maybe didn't fully understand what the true local context and nuances were. And I think this is something I really want to emphasize to everyone that, it's so important to really have empathy for who the person you're trying to solve the problem for is. What are they actually thinking when they wake up? What's their day-to-day like? You know, what are their biggest pain points? And sometimes there are decisions made from a higher end policy without really understanding what day-to-day life is like. And I think obviously this this led to a challenge of human waste being thrown around, but love what you guys have done of looking at challenge as the opportunity, you know, using the obstacle of this as, as the way to try and come up with something new. And I encourage everyone too to think about anytime you can use a once thought about trash or kind of a waste as an input for something else, that is innovation. That is remarkable. And it's not something where you have to create this, you know, the next Facebook or this widget that's going to change the world. You've highlighted this very specific problem that is a, uh, you know, as far as what's the addressable market, I'm I'm sure it's, you know, it's not billions. I'm sure it's millions up there to people who, who have this kind of impact. So I guess I'd I'd be interested in hearing more too about some of your, from lessons learned and suggestions you would have as far as how to approach problem solving. Because I think what you've just outlined is a really remarkable way of understanding the problem. And, and, oh, I loved your note on repurposing the incinerators into composters like that. That is, that's absolutely brilliant. You know, any other context, and it doesn't have to be specific to loop poop, but to kind of give context on how we should approach, and it's, it's different the social impact space. You know, I, I guess I sometimes hate calling in that it's still just, just innovation for better, for good, but any other suggestions or insights you would have about how to approach problem solving and, and innovation development, whether that's within the Arctic or, or just in general around the world? Yeah, you know, I, I think you sort of, you touched on this, but I'll reemphasize it, which was, you know, in the process of coming up to, you know, Loop Hoop and the, the system that we were looking at, one of the things that we heard kind of really consistently from the locals that we talked to was we cannot have more steps. And so I think the the word that we were using when we were in Greenland was called human-centered design, I think was the sort of the simple way they put it, but we had to operate under the paradigm of there is this, you know, there are these plethoras of technologies that people are inventing all the time that, you know, they want you to take in another thing and pay another subscription fee to try a new service. Um, And they really emphasized in in these communities that we talked to that if it requires an extra step or an extra time out of their day, or if it requires hiring more people when the tax base is so small, it's not it won't happen. And like, there's just to your point about, you know, what innovation really looks like. There's a huge difference between something that looks good on paper and something that is actually, you know, implementable, even in a hypothetical sense, even before you start prototyping, you you sort of have a really strong sense right off the bat over whether this is even going to be practical, just based on if the community has given you the feedback about this actually wouldn't change, you know, 
some kind of system that's already in place in terms of its steps, but it would just be integrating kind of your innovation into something that the community already relies on, already uses, and a problem that needs fixing, but not overcomplicating it, requiring new training or requiring some new payment that is not already possible. So really, those are just some really key elements of design that I that I think we really focused on was not trying to be flashy for the sake of a new thing, but really trying to just work with where we were, which is also why we came up with such a hyper-specific case study for our for the pitch. You know, we focused on this one town called Tasasuak in the northwest corner of Greenland because it happened to have this old incinerator that we said, oh, well, it's just lying there dormant. It's already there. They wouldn't have to build anything new. And so we can repurpose it. And we would have to do that same sort of market analysis for every community because maybe some communities wouldn't have an incinerator, but those are concepts and spaces where we would actually be tangibly using a system that was already in place, even if it might take a little bit more nitty gritty kind of focus to not have a one size fit all uh, model. I think when to your question around sort of the innovation and process, I think what was really kind of exciting for me is that we do talk about the fact that we all come from a different background and skills and education, and we do have different ways of going through our, our processes, right? The way that we create and ideate. Um, obviously, we had the kind of foundations of this sort of step guide from the Unleash program, but the way that Nathan goes about his problem solving to the way that I go about it and my other and other team members, we're all quite different. But I think we were quite open to that idea that we discuss this and we talk about how people go about their processes and find this kind of common ground where Nathan's skills can be harnessed to be researching or to be looking into policies or to be looking into this, this and that during the kind of ideations, whereas mine might be a little bit more visual and kind of conceptual pen and paper and Sophie and Horns might be something quite different. So I think it was quite nice to actually not have just one type of innovation or ideation process, but also just kind of be open to exploring and, and pulling on everyone else's strength at different points. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing to agree at times, but it's also a beautiful thing to disagree and to push each other. And I think that's, that's a, that helps break through some of these ideas, but sometimes we get tunnel visioned and we have our hypothesis and this is what we're going to do. I think that's what, what you found and that those two and a half, three days of trying to get to that past that first gate, gate check. And what I liked, one of the things you just talked about, it's hard to sometimes get something new to stick, you, but you can get something new to stick and you can get change if you can really communicate the value in a simple way without making it overwhelmingly expensive or overwhelmingly difficult to do. And so I think what you talked about was brilliant in that you're tapping into some existing infrastructure, you know, some level of existing distribution. And no doubt, it's not just going to keep going on the way that's been the past two years. Like there will be some kind of change. Tell me some of your thoughts on like change management. I think that's like, that is always going to be the hardest. We talked about it a little bit in this podcast already, but What's some of your approach and like actually getting change through having that human-centered design, but through education, through kind of the show me, don't tell me, what are some ways that you are approaching that with Loop Hoop or how you would approach implementing something new that is actually going to work within a local community? Yeah. I mean, from kind of my personal experience working in different communities in different parts of South America, I think... If you want an idea to potentially go forward and succeed, you know, it has to be locally driven. It has to be coming from those who are the, the user groups. And of course, you can you can plant the seed and you can help to work, you know, on an idea. But if it's not trusted, if it's not 
if they don't see the vision or they don't see the kind of collective collaboration on this or, or you know the collective contribution to it then inevitably i think that your ideas might you know go down the drain pretty quickly so for us i think we do realize that this going forward has to be something that we work really really closely with you know key community members people that have local knowledge and expertise in this area within greenland or where out wherever else we, we tend to do this in the near future and and you know that has to be one of the key drivers to to it you know and when we talk about scalability or replicability like you know i think we can obviously have our initial idea but we have to realize that a lot of it is going to have to evolve and adjust and adapt to the conditions and environments that and people that we're working with in the near future i think and i i don't want to be kind of looking into a crystal ball but i think another unique challenge for sort of change management management around our project is really just going to be the the region you know the remoteness of the arctic the difficulty in travel and and so i can also imagine sort of a a scenario where we sort of prove a replicable model and then we really have to sort of as sort of as henry was alluding to in the list sort of local expertise and regional expertise within different countries especially since we are 10 hours apart in our small team of four across the arctic and so just the practicalities of if we if we can grow this concept into other areas though we'll really have to be i think uniquely creative about how we manage the difficulty of the region and its practical geographical and physical limitations beyond just the very low population and hard economy to enter yeah and it's a tough balance where we we want action asap right now but this stuff does take time and so it's a little bit of a balance of patience and persistence and I think that the idea of a proof of concept, sometimes it, I've heard people be like, oh, proof of, another proof of concept. So it's just a way to kick the can down the road. But you do want to bet something out. And it's okay if that takes 12 to 24 months and you know you get more scale adoption, 36 to 48 months. And sometimes maybe we hear a lot of entrepreneurs that are just like, you see some a friend on social media and they're killing it with crazy sales and huge growth and all this. But this type of work within the SDGs, it it's long term. I know we have the goals till twenty thirty, but we're we're we have a fifty year horizon. You know, we need to continue to make tangible change day to day. It's not just some. It's you can't just like deinstall past practices and reinstall a new one. Like there's there's culture, there's history, there's there's stuff. <laughs> that's it. That you got to balance. So I think that's all 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 just things to keep in mind. And so yeah, I mean, I guess it's. It's October 25th, Tuesday, 1140 Central Time. It's what, 841 uh, Anchorage Time. And for you, Henry, it's what, 10 p.m. or 9 p.m.? Uh, no, it's 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Okay, so we got, got all different time zones here and people you know, all around the globe working towards these problems. But what's next? I mean, I know it's it's a lot of passion and excitement and emotion at the event. You know, here we are two months or so after Greenland. But what is next for both you and the the Loop Poop team, and kind of what what are your thoughts as far as the most important next milestones that your team is is thinking about? Yeah, well, you know, I think most tangibly we are working on, well, most basically we're working on coordination around you know ten hour time zone change. So we're we're making sure that we we figure out a kind of efficient. I think we're about there, but an efficient time that we can all consistently meet. Um, and then you know we've. But, it, but on an individual basis, in the meantime, we've uh, been in some 
uh, discussions with people in our respective regions on prototyping is most likely going to be our, our, our next stage. Uh, we have both the Chemonics expertise that we want in Greenland, so um, working to get kind of off the ground as well. But in the meantime, I've been talking uh, to the executive director of the Cold Climate Housing Research Center in Fairbanks, um, which has a sustainable living laboratory where, you know, as a potential prototyping ground, so working there. And then I know um, Orn in Iceland has been talking to a Bokashi kind of user in Iceland who already has like a tangible proof of concept around just the the kind of cold greenhouse idea. And so it's a matter of figuring out how to coordinate that across, you know, a 10 hour time zone change. And then, you know, when we, when it gets down to the practicality of actually implementing some kind of prototype, how are we going to coordinate that? How are we going to help each other, even though we can't physically help each other, you know, and then one of the things that we didn't even mention is we received some, um, some pro bono, just sort of voluntary, amazing offer of help from a friend from the conference at the Water Environment Federation, which is a... Barry which is a Yeah, yeah. And so um, we'll be reaching out to Barry as well and seeing uh, how he might want to plug in with Barry, his uh, expertise. I can, I can vouch for everyone. I figure myself, Barry is an amazing human. He was he's very influential with uh, my work at Unleash and continued to, to stay in touch with him. But so he's... He's definitely the right person, and and I'm I will volunteer myself along with Barry to do whatever I can to help kind of connect the dots because there are definitely a couple of people ringing in my brain that that might be worth um, connecting this to. So we could talk more after this, but that's the beauty of Unleash in this is that we all want each other to win, you know. And if, if we win, you know, win is relative, but we all just want each other to be happy in the pursuit of of making an impact. Yeah. Yeah, we really appreciate that, Kevin. And yeah, we can also see, yeah, Barry Leonard was a fantastic and extremely influential on our, on um, motivating us, but also supporting us during that Unleash process and program. But I think one of the amazing things was, is that, you know, on a daily basis at Unleash, you are seeing and hearing and uh, all these different pitches and ideas that are coming from the different groups and so many of the topics uh, exploring uh, <laughs> all these different uh, areas around these uh, SDGs. And I think, having that dialogue with the fellow Unleashed Talents on, on a daily basis and the way that we kind of could bounce ideas and sort of get feedback on our on our pitches and our approach was, again, a great experience where you don't really get that if you're just sitting at your, your desk in, or your office somewhere trying to come up with an idea by yourself. But having this, again, this energy and this credible expertise from so many people that have helped us throughout process as well. So we're, we're extremely grateful for that and for the support moving forward from the different parties. Well, from just talking with you both for 45 minutes or so already, um, I can tell you you have the the right intentions, the right mindset for this to be successful. And so all I can say is keep going. You're doing, you're doing all the right things. And I guess kind of just to try and close it out here and sort of a little selfishly focused on the India Unleash event that's happening in, gosh, a little over like 40 days, maybe. What's like uh, something that you would say, hey, you one thing you really should do, one thing you really shouldn't do to talents that are kind of mentally and preparing and you know packing their suitcases? And what would you tell them as sort of words of advice that maybe you wish you could have told yourself before your own experience or, or any sort of words of wisdom that you think might be useful? You know, I think something that you really should do is, sounds a little bit cliche, but lean in. And I say that with context because coming from seven hours behind, it was, the week was incredibly exhausting just physically because I was 
adjusting while simultaneously jumping into the fray and working these, you know, like the extra long work days for days on end. And then, you know, being done at night and going to, you know, network and meet all these amazing Arctic young people in after hours. And I guess my advice is like really embrace that because you only get the, you only get the time that you have there and you can recover, you know, you can recover as you need, but you won't get that time back. So really lean into that. But, and then, you know, and so that's sort of also a way to say something not to do is to be conservative while you're there. Like don't do what you think is manageable, but really, um, I mean, take care of yourself. Of course. Like I had to sleep through a hotel. I had to sleep all day in a hotel room to recover from the, from the time change and, uh, and, and just the exhaustion of getting there. But, but don't try to like be too cautious about, how you engage because you're trying to, you know, preserve some sort of semblance of normalcy because the nor- the week will not be normal. So, you know, just embrace that it will not be normal and that you can recover on the back end if you need to, but you will want to really meet the people that you have there in a really deep way. So embrace that. Yeah, I think that's completely right. I mean, Nathan, yeah, you, we, we definitely went on the kind of a roller coaster of emotions through, you know, uh, struggling for for many of the start of it to actually come up with an idea that we wanted to stick. But, you know, we trusted our process and I can really recommend that, you know, you don't just pick necessarily the, the first idea that comes to you, but just keep going through that process and ideation, you know, kill your darlings, put it aside, keep revisiting it. I think, you know, at times you do have to kind of take a bit of a risk, but, you know, be open-minded. You know, what I realized was it was important to sometimes also leave my background at the door and, and realize that, you know, you have to take on board what, you know, other people's perspectives and, and opinions and ideas are and don't try and just be super, you know, self-indulge uh, that it's your way or the highway. So I think when we can start to work collectively and collaboratively, I think that was where the, the vision and, and the success came. And yeah, so I think be ambitious, Take your time. Don't rush it. You know, trust that process, and also just lap up this incredible experience. I think, you know, we're extremely grateful to be able to go to somewhere which is going to be kind of extremely eye-opening experience. So India is going to have a lot of challenges, and you're going to potentially feel overwhelmed at times. But I think you have to realize that you're in a pretty incredible part of the world, and you you've got to have fun there and, and enjoy it and experience the culture and and yeah, i'm very very jealous because i think it's it's going to be one of the cool trips that unleash has done in, in the years so yeah. best of luck and uh, i hope and i know we we're going to see some uh, incredible you know change making projects coming out of that yeah well nathan henry i can't thank you enough for both your insights there to kind of some of the things you said that to me was you know lean in be ambitious and make the most of it it is truly a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that you got to maximize but also remember that it's not just a moment. It is a movement. You know, we're working. This is we, this is not just you just go back to your normal life afterwards. We, we the, there's urgent action that that was required by all of us to keep collaboratively working to address these problems. And sometimes I say this: there are no wrong answers. Obviously, that's you know with the asterisk. I mean, you have to be mindful. You have to be culturally aware. You have to be realistic of of your team. You know, and in your cur- current personal and financial situations, of course, but. Unleash is here for a reason, and it's to spark change to help create a more equitable and just world for the UN SDGs. So that is my urgent call to everyone that is listening. You know, kind of a reminder to you, Henry and Nathan. You guys are are the epitome of of what fires me up and it gets me excited. So kudos to you. And I guess before uh, we close out here, any final thoughts, comments, quotes, challenge, question that you'd want to maybe leave us with here today? 
I think we maybe said it, said it all in that kind of final remark. But yeah, I, I think the one thing is, I think we do have an opportunity and a voice through this this program as well. And don't be afraid to provoke and poke the bear a little bit. At, and I think what we realize is that you, you also, through the Unleash program, you know, you, you have an opportunity and a platform to go in and amplify and, you know, nudge politicians and different people that have and can make change. And I think what we're seeing from some of the support from the Greenlandic um, Unleashed Talent is that they are, you know, presenting in, on these ideas to the right people. And, and I think that that's really rewarding that in two months time, you can you can have the potential to actually do some potential impact in, in a region. So yeah, that's a kind of a leaving remark from me, but I think you captured my thoughts. Um, I definitely think, uh, yeah, I encourage people to really lean into a kind of a project or concept that they can really grasp. You know, I think one of the things that really stood out to me about what we worked on was that I could see it in my own community and in my own state, right? I think that there's something also just really powerful about speaking to the local community and also finding something that you really feel like you can see the, the tangible difference because it's, you know, it's a problem for people that you know and that you build relationships with. But yeah. Good deal. Well, Nathan and Henry, again, keep going. Thank you for all your hard work. And I look forward to staying in touch and seeing what happens with uh, All Things Loop Poop. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash in United Nations community goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. I look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.